Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Okay, good morning everybody. And welcome to Chassidus in the morning. Starting Parak Yudbeis. Um, just a quick idea. So uh, we'll quickly recap what we said and what we're going to discuss. We'll talk about what we're going to discuss today. So we talked about in the first Parak Yud, we discussed how we all can govern. We all have the ability to connect during governing and which will ultimately help us change our lives and our Yiddishkeit. In Yud Aleph, we talked about five steps to daven. You have to find yourself a place and not be walking around all the time. Have one, one set spot for davening. Um, we said you should think an idea of chassidus for davening. The thirdly, you should once in a while make an honest, have sit down and have an honest conversation with yourself and find out what we could be improving on. And the fourth thing was, was have mercy for your soul. And the best time to do is Avas Elam. And we are promised that if we ask for mercy, mercy doesn't come back empty handed, which means the mercy will come, which will help us reveal our godly soul, we'll be more connected to it. And the fifth thing is we said before we dive in Shemineswe, we should think about who we're standing in front of, and not just in front of the king of all kings, but really think about the levels of godliness, which we said that even the level of Keser, which is one of the highest levels you can ever reach, it's way even above Atzillus, which is you know something way above us. And, and Keser is called a bright, shining, glistening light in comparison to the level of God that we're governing, that is standing next to us, and we're governing to, speaking to in, in first person, in second person, blessed are you, you know, you are holy, and things like this. That light of Kesar, which is the highest thing you could ever imagine, is like darkness to appreciate. And that will produce an awe and, and humility when we daven. So now is until now, in short. So today, in chapter 12, we're going to discuss, and I remember when, I, when we started learning this, I explained that we're talking, that the Rebbe was, was he wrote this for a specific, for a specific time period, for Siddim, that we're wanting to know how to daven. So, he's, so a lot of what we're going to learn in the next few chapters is like dealing with their specific situations. The reason why we should learn it is because this will give us the understanding of how to approach the subject and how to understand the subject. And through understanding what he's saying, then we'll understand how like we, we look at it in, in, in relationship to us and how does it work for us and how we can apply this. It's like in, in Halacha that a lot of times they learn Shavas of Goenim and stuff and like meaning how did, how did the rabbis in the previous generation answer the questions? Even though we don't have these questions, but through seeing how they answered them, we understand the, the background and how to, how to answer it nowadays. And so to hear to understanding the problem that they had and how the Rebbe Rashab is explaining and answering it, we can understand how to apply it to our situation and fit it in. Yeah. Okay. With that, we will start. And uh, yeah, I think if we continue going at this rate, we should be able to finish the book and then we'll be ready to start from the beginning in about two weeks. Let's see. Chapter 12. Chapter 12. 12. Curing spiritual insensitivity. Page 120. The study of Chassidus should cause man to break his course in materialistic nature. We're basically going to discuss 
that with people that learn Chassidus, but it doesn't connect with them and it doesn't really transform them. And it's because the way they approach Chassidus, it's very interesting and this is very relevant to us. Though studying Chassidus, a burden, they're occupied in the study of Chassidus, some people are still completely unreceptive to its light. So what happens, people are learning Chassidus, they're listening to Chassidus even from the rabbi, which is something, you know, they were fortunate enough to have, that unfortunately a lot of us don't. But nevertheless, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't change and nothing happens to them. All the more so, they have no aptitude for deep delving, concentration, and spiritual sense perception. Explain above regarding the genuine meditation during prayer. The two aforementioned moods, which he explains in the earlier chapters, which we didn't get to yet, but we'll get to. Basically, what he's saying is, even to daven with the, with the maimer, it's not even like shaykh to them. They just, it's, it's totally like foreign. Like, I don't know how to daven with the maimer. What are you talking about? This is evidenced by the utter lack of desire and longing to study chassidus and to toil and concentrate on it. Why, so why can't they daven with the chassidus? It's because they don't have a care to really put in the effort. And, and, what, you'll, and what we're seeing here, when you, see, when you learn this, you'll hear a lot of harsh words that he uses. Now he's not coming to tell people, uh, to curse people out or something. He's telling you a reality. And he's just being straight with us. He's not mincing the words. He's just being straight. He says, this is the reality. If this is your problem, I'm, I'm not trying to make you, you know, feel bad. I'm just telling you, this is, this is the facts on the ground. And you got to, and now that I can help, and now that you know that, you can help yourself. So again, don't take anything he says as like he's trying to put you down. So though they are thirsty to hear, an exposition of Chassidus, so they do want to hear Chassidus being told by the rabbi, and though they understand and are somewhat inspired by a subject, reviewing what they have what they've heard several times, so they learn the Maimon and the Chazrat. Nevertheless, they possess no desire whatsoever to study independently, nor to exert themselves to comprehend concepts thoroughly and understand them clearly. They don't have that desire to continue going over it and really understand it. And you could say very much nowadays, this is like you know a lot of people learn Chassidus. You know, I remember when I, like when I didn't understand Chassidus, I would learn a Maimer once and, and I would never even think to learn it again. And, and now that I understand more Chassidus, I don't understand how I ever learned just once. And I'm like, I don't understand what I did or what I get. Like, you know, for me, with all the, with all the years of now that I've been learning that I understand infinitely more than then, at least, at least twice, I want to really get into it three times, you know? So these people, so this this issue is that, that they don't have that desire. And they don't care to learn it again. So they'll learn the subject, oh, whatever. But like, it won't really, you know, it won't take it with them and really keep on going and, and not trying to understand it. Yeah, nevertheless, if there's no desire to ever to study independently, nor to exert themselves to comprehend concepts thoroughly and understand them clearly, how much more so to plummet the depths of the matter? I have to understand the concept to its full depth, meaning, and, and he explains why, he'll explain why is this. Even what they have heard, they have no desire to understand and comprehend well. To these individuals, the study of Chassidus is a ponderous burden, one in which they find no benefit for their souls. Indeed, the study of their, their study truly yields them no profit, since it irradiates no light within their souls. He's saying, so they don't care, but they don't feel any difference. And he goes, they're right. There is no difference from what they what happened in the law. So they might learn it, they might do the, the, the Chazim, but it doesn't really affect them. It could be, it's my own little thoughts, that he's trying to make people realize that, that their issue is that you don't really care. You're like, oh, it's not working. This whole thing's not working because essentially this is a safer room for people that want to dive in and want to connect. So someone's like, oh, it's not working. I don't know why. So he says, because you don't really want. You don't realize it, but you don't really want. 
understandably, this dreadful disease is a bitten banful one. Meaning, if this is the situation, it's very, it's very sad because it's a problem, it's a big issue. You know, because they are learning, they're not, not learning. If they're not learning, then just come let's learn. But, they, but this is not the case. They are learning, but they're just not connecting with them and they don't care. And it's like, eh, you know, like when I used to learn chassidus, I want to be a chassid, so you have to learn chassidus. But it's not that the chassidus itself was inspiring me or, or connecting me or making me want to work on myself. It was just part of the rules of wanting to be a lababach chassid. You should learn chassidus. I learn chassidus. Now, Baruch Hashem, it's different. But an individual so stricken lacks enthusiasm for godliness and the little excitement he experiences when listening to an exposition of chassidus also quickly disappears and vanishes, leaving him only with its superficial aspects. And, and, and the, the lacking that enthusiasm for chassidus and for godliness that then totally not connected to then, even when they do hear it, but it doesn't last. It's, it's, like, it's like when someone is, you know, someone's down, so even when you pull them up with something, you get them some an exciting story. So they'll get excited for those seconds of the story, but then they're back to being down. That's what he's saying, that, that even when they do get something from chassidus, but it's, it's not, it doesn't last. It just it's, it goes and it goes and goes back out. And, and it's the general attitude and the general feeling towards chassidus is not. And if we have this feeling, and hey, well, then you can connect to this. This is not, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the problem case he's talking about. It, it's, it's okay, it's opposite. He's helping me realize how I can change things. So let's see. Furthermore, the avoid of praise altogether foreign to him, as understood, considering what has been explained earlier. The word of them when he explains now is going to go learn, is going to go daven and really put in the effort to daven and try to connect and try to transform themselves and work on ourselves. It's not even shaykh, because you're, you're not connected with the chassidus at all. Consequently, his observance of terror and its mitzvahs is devoid of vitality, and his natural character traits remain unpurified and unrefined. He doesn't work on himself at all. He's you know, a person that doesn't have that connection to the chassidus. So then how are they going to sit there and put in the effort to daven? And really will work on the davening and really work on working on themselves. And he's going to have a whole discussion about what does it mean to work on ourselves? You know, so they're not going to be working on themselves. They're not going to be davening. And, and, and so therefore, without the davening, you know, in the Reverend Rashab's terms, without davening, your, your Judaism is, has missing life. And like we talked about yesterday, that... Um, um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Allah Shalom, what, connect, what got him is when he saw Siddim Davin, before Davening and after Davening, the different people. And this is what we want to achieve through our Davening. We want to transform ourselves and truly work on ourselves. It's habitual behavior. Aside from, the, from all the above in general, such an individual is utterly shallow, possessing no inward feelings for anything. Thus, his good deeds lack the sound foundation. Only out of force of habit. Does he behave commendably? He's saying a person, what Rabbi Hashem is saying, that to really, the real work that we have to do is work on ourselves. And we might say, I'm good. That, you know, before I got married, I'm like, oh, I'm a good person. I get along with my roommates. It's fine. But once you get married, you realize that there's a lot of things you have, you have to work on. And that's what he's saying. You might by nature have some natural characteristics that work well, but you haven't worked on yourself. And, and we are required to work on ourselves to really inculcate proper things that we want. And, and as much as we might be generally good people, but there's, there's things that aren't necessarily the way it should be and we should be really working on ourselves. In this respect, and you'll see, in this respect, the degree of one's habit, habit, habituation to positive conduct makes a difference. If a person has been rigorously trained with praiseworthy has, habits, 
and they are rooted, as it were, in his soul because of his consistent camaraderie with good friends and his lack of excessive exposure to the opposite, and is therefore drawn to and firmly accustomed to commendable conduct, then he's more distant from evil than from good. So if a person by is grew up in a good environment and a good surrounding, so by nature of that surrounding, they're gonna just be good people and do good things. Not that they've worked on themselves, but just by nature, this is how it is. And there'll be more tendency to do the right thing versus the wrong thing. But if this habituation is not so solid, owing to his friendship with bad companions, and although he was different from them, nonetheless, he was exposed to the evil which, and was drawn somewhat, then he's close to evil. Whereas on the other hand, if you brought up an environment with, with a bad friends that weren't trying to push in the right direction in any in, in the opposite direction, so then you're naturally going in that not opposite direction. And what, we, what he's saying, is they're both natural. It's either you're naturally good or naturally not good. It's not because you've, you've worked on yourself to become a good person versus the other person worked on themselves to become a bad person. See, we, this is just the nature you've been, you've been around. It is possible that both good and evil, i.e. in non-ways issues, cohesive within him. So therefore you haven't really worked on yourself in any way. So you could have one, one area you're good, one area you're bad because it's not that you made those choices to be good or bad. It just this is just the nature of, of what you've been brought up with. So his substance, meaning his self, is as forceful as ever, having undergone no change at all. So we haven't actually changed ourselves. It's just by nature, you're in a good environment, you're brought up in a good place. So that's how you behave. But you haven't actually worked on yourself. So therefore, it could be things that totally that, that you shouldn't be doing at all, but you won't even think about it because you never got taught this. Even after the passage of much time. His coarse, evil nature may still not reveal itself on account of his accustomed good conduct. And this may go on for quite some time, possibly throughout a person's lifetime. So it could be throughout your life you behave like a mansion and a good person and you're just doing the right things. But it's not because, again, it's not because you worked on yourself to be that way. Just this is what you've been brought up with. On the other hand, a given circumstance and reason may disclose the naked power of the evil still within him, God forbid. You know, it's just the story to, to, to bring this point out. And I remember years ago, I was in Australia, I was in the Kalo, I wasn't married yet, and there was, a, there was a guy in Kalo that was a very, very sweet guy, very nice, and he was like, always so happy, he was very nice, and something about it was like, I felt fake, he was like, I'm just being not nice, look, the guy's a good guy, what's the problem? And one day, I don't remember what caused it, but someone told him something, and he, whoa, what a change. Suddenly, he was red, like literally red in the face, and he was fired. And you could see he was not happy. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that's like, a, it, like literally, it was like a different person. So you could say that what, and, and, and unfortunately, this is the reality that it seems, you know, I can't, I'm not going to judge anyone, but it seems the way it is. And this was for me for many years. The chassis we learn, or the way we behave, is not because we, we, we trained ourselves to behave in specific ways. And really worked on ourselves. It's just this is how we've been brought up, and we just continue it, you know. And when we go and learn chassidus, we don't learn chassidus in a way that we should change us and we should try to inculcate within us good character traits or work on ourselves. But we just this is just how it is. And yeah, so we'll stop here. Just tell another quick story to to like really hone this in. I was reading this beautiful book. It's called As As I Heard Them. So Hasid, he got told to write stories of what he heard from different places. He wrote in the DP camps. He went around to all these Hasidim and he gathered all these stories. So one of the stories he brings down was the grandson of the Tzemach Tzedek. I don't remember what was his name. I don't, know if the, I don't think it was Rabbi Shab. 
but he was a little kid, I think it was like up Sharon age, and he was holding an apple and he was crying. So Chassidim looked at him and he said, why are you crying? So he said, because I want an apple. So he said, so you have an apple in your hand, go eat, go eat the apple in your hand. So he said, this is a powerful lesson. So he said, my grandfather told me, meaning the Tzemach I don't know if he told him, he, he, I heard my grandfather say that, when you, that you shouldn't have what you want. So he was crying because he wanted the apple and he shouldn't have it. So I was thinking about it, like, what, is that? what does that mean? I could tell it was a powerful story, but I'm like, what does that mean? I realized, what does it mean? It means that why are you having it? Why are you eating it? Why are you having whatever it is? Let's say in this example, this example is an apple. Or it could be anything. You're eating, you're watching, whatever you're doing in your life, why are you doing that? And, and the Talmud Tzedek was explaining, and this kid heard it, and he was young, you know, he was like three years old or something. He, he, was, he was being inculcated. He was working himself to realize, yeah, this is the book. Because as I heard them, there's a lot of his stories, very short, a lot of them, and very intense. Yeah, and it doesn't really explain, so you have to like think about it. But the point is, he said, so what, what, was, what was he saying? He realized, even at a young age, that why am I doing something? If it's just because I want to, that's not a good reason to do it, because I want to. I need it. It's healthy for me. It's going to benefit me in, in my Vedas Hashem, in my connection with people, in my connection with God. So then I should do it. But if it's just because I want, even if it's an apple, an apple is totally kosher, but it's just because I want, so I shouldn't have and this kid was being inculcated. It wasn't just his natural, but he was, he was already working on himself. And I think this is sort of what we're saying, that we've got to ask ourselves, are we just behaving the way we've been brought up to behave? Or are we making the right choices in our lives? Are we choosing specific behaviors to behave? You know, And, and if we go back and, and make that honest husband and see where we're holding, so what can we work on ourselves? And that, that's really the avoid of chassidus. And I don't want to do it too long. We'll continue tomorrow.